I'm introducing it. Hi, how you guys doing? You good? Hey, uh, so yeah, so this is how today started. Um, not today, but I was writing a message and I realized that I was just pretty much plagiarizing his book. <laughs> and I got, I like found the same verse and it was in 2 Samuel and, and, and I like got to it and then I actually, I was like, hey Tess, do you have his book with you? And she's like, yeah, I have his, I have his book. And then I opened it to the, 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 the chapter, Stand Your Ground, and my message was going to be on Stand Your Ground and it was going to, it was going to be huge. And I had like a trendy name to call it something trendy that had to do with a rap song. And then I was like, no, I mean, actually, I think we should just have a conversation about courage. So we're going to talk so about courage. So that's our subject tonight. We're going to talk yeah. about courage. So all that to say, we're talking about courage. Yeah. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very spicy today. Very spicy. Is that a thing? What do you call it? Like crispy? Like what? Fresh. Feeling fresh. Thank you. Keep me relevant. Feeling. Now, we good. don't always get a big reaction, but everyone here had an opinion. Everybody on that had. One. They're like, he's always like that. You're just new if you didn't notice. He calls it spicy. I call it Aaron. Oh. <laughs> Boom. Hey. I, I, pray for me. Second Samuel 23. You got your Bibles? Let's go. We should pray. Probably just for me. <laughs> I'll pray. <laughs> just put your hands. Forward. By the way, if you're listening in, I'm Erwin McManus. This is uh, my son, Aaron McManus. You just sound very disappointed in me right now. No. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this beautiful night, for all the laughter in this room. God, just for all the community that's here. I'm so grateful for the way you bring us together and you take us from our isolated, disconnected lives and you make us a family, a community, a tribe. And so I pray, God, that even in these moments, for everyone, both who is present and for those who are joining us uh, across the world on the podcast, that you would make some breakthroughs in their life Help us to, um, to find our way through our fear, to our freedom, and to, God, uh, allow you to, to make us strong of heart so that we might live a life of courage. And God, I pray for spicy Aaron. <laughs> we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Goodness. Wow. Okay. That's the way I talk to God. If you're just like... He prays for me a lot. They're very close. Second uh, Samuel 23, 8. David's mighty warriors. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. I've nicknamed them because they're not from this time. <laughs> and he can't pronounce their names. <laughs> so I can't either, so that's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. JB... Was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was E. (laughs) Son of D. (laughs) This is coming out way more funny than... Let's just go with it. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered for battle. 
Then the Israelites retreated, but E stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to E, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shema. I got that one. Son of A, the the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a... No, no, no. This is important. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the thirty chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At the time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistines' garrison was at Bethlehem. And this is the part I really love. And also kind of slightly confused by. David longed for water. So King so David, well he the king, he becomes the king. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. David refused to drink it, instead he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me. Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their own lives and David would not drink it? Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. How cool is that? And then there's like two other guys who are just equally as awesome. They're like Anthony Davis and like KD, but what? Sorry. Interrupts? No. So, but these are the things. That, yeah? Go for it. Okay. Uh, no, but here, here's, the, here's the point of focus. Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And I almost, like, in my mind, I kind of had this uh, breakdown of this scene where you have a guy who's obviously the leader. He makes this kind of, like, flippant request, like, I want in and out across the country. <laughs> but except for it's filled with all of these uh, bad guys in between and enemies and people who want to kill them and these three people who go above and beyond through uh, enemy territories to get him what he asked for. They bring it back, and he pours it out because he says... You risked your lives. Only God deserves this. And initially, it was gonna, I was going to just talk about kind of teaming and getting ready for this move to Sundays and how kind of I think nothing is beneath us as leaders. Nothing's beneath us as goers and nothing's beneath us as givers. Um, but it kind of got me to thinking because I, I really, this, this one guy stood out to me. Next to him was Shema, son of Agi, the Hararite, when the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them, but Shema took a stand in the middle of the field. And, and this is where I realized I was actually plagiarizing my father. Because I had this really like, beautiful image of what if like, this is the gladiator moment of this, this human who basically like, abandons his entire tribe who's retreating and he stands in this field full of lentils and you can just imagine how cinematic and beautiful and you know Ridley Scott's up in there and just making you know Ridley Scott fans yeah right like that's I'm feeling it you guys like shape of water and things so I'm sure that's or so no but I, I had this like really romantic view of a guy who abandons everyone and says this is my time I'm gonna stand my ground and fight for what uh, the rest of my tribe should be fighting for. And I had this thought that there are always things in our lives that keep us from actually engaging where God wants us to be and taking the stand that he needs us to take. Um, 
And in my life, there's been so many places where that's actually been real, but I've run from it or I've engaged in it and I've failed miserably and it's taken me years to get back to the place where I'll try again. But as we've been having this conversation with these new campuses and these new leaders and you have to constantly trust new people, uh, I really felt like we should talk about courage and what that looks like. And I had this thought that so much of my ambition has been tied to my self-worth, my self-worth. And so I've had this lack of drive and this lack of ambition, this lack of ability to fail. And you said it to me on the phone today, or recently. You said it to me a lot. Um, that, you know, hey, Aaron, you're, you're, scared, you're scared to take risks. You're scared, you're so worried that you're going to fail that you, you don't actually do things. That you, you're so nervous, you're so cautious, you've got to actually get there and take risks. And I was really, like, contemplating. I think he doesn't think I listen, but the things he say, like, just pierce your soul. And so you're, like, laying there and you're like, God, why am I the worst? Actually, um, what I said was... <laughs> Wait, but I, I was getting there. Okay, go ahead. I'm here. This idea of standing your ground, um, I think it's been really hard to achieve because my worth has come from the wrong places. And that's maybe a conversation that people have in the church, that it should come from Jesus and come from your foundation in Christ, but also from your community. Uh, but really, I was tying that to what is the thing that keeps us from believing that we are actually courageous? Does that make sense? Like the idea of standing your ground, being this guy Shema, is, it's cute, right? Like it's super romantic. Like I, I, we only read about it in the Bible, but to actually live it and what that looks like is such a different um, thing. And so that was what we wanted to talk about today, is courage. Yeah, and I think it's so good because, in fact, can we just give it up for that? It was so good. So what I, I did, what I actually said to Aaron, because he won't, he won't say it because it was a compliment, and um, he doesn't want to say something good about himself. Um, so I set him up for a great compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, when you first came back, you were really afraid to take risks. You're really cautious, and you you're really struggled with being paralyzed. But something over the last three, four years has really kicked in. And now you're like always pressing everybody to take big risks and you're pushing the church to take big risks and you're the first one to want to open up a new campus and you have, we haven't even opened up this one in Venice Beach, Santa Monica. And Having such an identity crisis. I know. And, uh, and, uh, and now we're going to let's launch downtown. And then you guys had a crew down there with Felix and Tanya. Uh, Tanya, there you are. And uh, No one knows that. Oh, uh, so, oh, you don't know this. And uh, Austin, mute this part. Of no, the... no, no. Let's just speak it in. And uh, uh, um, South Pasadena, our campus there, has taken on Orange County. And they, they basically have said, we're going to annex Orange County. And our team is going to go do that as well. So when Aaron heard that in the meeting, he came to me and said, well, then we need a bigger challenge uh, for our Venice Beach Santa Monica campus. We need to also help launch downtown. And, uh, <laughs> Great. Yeah. you're so full of secrets. And so then Felix and Tanya hosted it because they have an amazing place downtown. They're so generous and so gracious. And, and, uh, and then you guys had a crew there this week. And how many people did you have the first one there? 57 or something. Yeah. 56. 56. <laughs> Not the time. Had 56 people there. And it's just an incredible beginning for our downtown campus and 
And, and what I really wanted to highlight was that you've made a huge shift in your own life. And uh, it's kind of funny now to watch you because you're the first one who wants to lean in to go, let's do something new, let's keep stretching, let's keep risking. And so I've watched God shift you. Now, you still have things that terrify you, and like preaching or speaking or being public and uh, anything on the stage. And, um, and, and I, I actually like that. I like the fact that the stage terrifies you. Because I don't want people up here who need it for their ego. I want people who only come up because they feel like either they um, care more about helping people than they care about how they look up here. Or they feel like they know that God has given them something to say and so they have to put themselves aside. And because this is supposed to be a sacred space, you know, this is not the groundlings and it's not, you know, um, Shakespeare theater. It's a sacred space. And you want to carry that highly. So I'm going to go to you real personally because I love this passage. And you may have plagiarized it for me, but I stole it from your mom. And, uh, <laughs> but she's in Africa. so yeah, she's, in, she's, she's, in, she's on her way back from Malawi. And, yeah. and uh, um, she's the one that first read that passage to me where it just really stood out. And uh, Kim is a person who really is like Shema. She takes a piece of ground. She stands there. She fights a battle. And... Uh, that's why she's been in Malawi. She's been in the middle of this village um, and standing there for the people and for the tribal chiefs and um, trying to bring education and health care and, and, uh, and the hope that comes in Jesus to this obscure place and uh, the other side of the world. And really, everywhere Kim stands, she becomes almost like a, um, a flag post where she is, you just know God's going to be. And, and I feel like that's the metaphor I love. That there has to be something in your life you care about more than yourself. Because we know the end of the story, but Sh- I think Shema was pretty sure he was going to die. Like, he didn't go, oh, I've read this. <laughs> I'm going to be okay. You know? When he stopped and fought by himself, I think he had already resolved that would be this, the place where he would die. And, you know, a lot of us, um, well, most of us, we die and then somebody buries us somewhere. And, um, and I've known some people who strangely bought their burial plots before they died. But it's just some really nice cemetery or some you know, pretty piece of land. I think we should choose our place to die as the place where we sacrifice and give ourselves completely. Wherever they put our body, that's something else. But really, your point of death should be your point of life. And so I wanted to ask you, because on a real practical level, Aaron, like what are some of the things that you feel like you've had to like address internally to face your fears and to begin to move toward a more courageous life? How would you help others here who are working through some of the same issues? How far back do we want to go? <laughs> well, don't go into the womb, but you can go back. <laughs> yeah, I think... I mean, maybe the, the, it would be surprising, I think, to, to, uh, the more I've realized now, I think I'm becoming more self-aware. You talk about self-awareness a lot, and the closer you get to you or Mariah, Mariah is like a mirror that shows you back, and it's not like the Harry Potter mirror, where it shows you the good things you want to see. <laughs> Mariah would just be the most blunt, and she like, has these moments where she just speaks so much truth that you know that it's actually from God, because there's no way anyone else would have been able to see it. She just can speak into things. 
and, and it's a really beautiful thing. She absolutely destroyed Carlos in New York on accident. Um, and, and me and Carlos were laughing. She's, he's like, how does she know these things about me? And I was like, I didn't tell her. <laughs> like, and, and, but, I, but becoming more self-aware and realizing that, um, that I, my need for people is high, but that I was living life so alone, and I wasn't letting people in on, on any level, really. And that there was no way to accomplish this idea of building a beautiful church and building beautiful community and also just becoming like a more beautiful person on the inside if you don't actually let people in and, and help uh, cultivate your life. Does that make sense? And, and I think that has been the biggest challenge has been letting people all the way in. Like Joe Smith, I really hate that he's all the way in because of the way he's had to be all the way in. But he's been a mentor in my life, and he has dug in and gone, okay, we're going to start tearing things up. We're going <laughs> to throw this out, and we're going to work on new things. And, and it was really letting people in, building character, um, which is always a process, controlling anger, finding peace. I think the first time I heard that song, the comfort in, what do you call that, comfort? Comfort? The peace song? I, I think I just cried. I, was I think like, it's the, my new favorite song. The new favorite song. It's... You know, we don't say, you know, we don't say songs are better than others, but this might be my favorite song. Some of them are better than others. <laughs> and, no, but I, but I really like... Some of them don't make it on the album. <laughs> Some of them don't. A lot of them mostly don't them make don't. it on the album. Wait, hold on, I'm still going. Um... <laughs> No, but this idea of like being anxious, I was a really anxious person, you know, like, and not just around Easter and Christmas and the times that you'd think like church people would be anxious, but I was just anxious all the time for no reason. And I live a really good life. I have a really great family. I, there's not too much that, uh, that, that at the beginning, there was not much that was expected of me. It was just turn up and help and start serving and, and build and, you know, get coffees for people or X, Y, Z. And, and I was just living this life of anxiety and I lacked like this internal structure of peace. And that has been probably the biggest journey is like how to, how to let people in, how to build character, how to be kind, and how to like end up in a place where it's peace. And I always say that he's the most, he's like reached enlightenment. We, we joke about that because, I don't know, we're not afraid of that word. But, but, but I, I, I always say that you're like Jeff Bridges and Tron. Like, you're that guy who's just like, I, when people are, I'm like, yeah, my dad's a hotter version of Jeff Bridges and Tron. And, ooh, and, and uh, no, but really, because like nothing, nothing actually really phases you. You're really impressed by a lot and you really like enjoy life, but you live in such a place in the spirit of, of Christ really and of, of God that you are not swayed much by like failures or, or, or anything really. You just literally stay your path and you have lots of paths, but you always stay that path. And that's something that I've like seen and I'm like, how do I achieve? How do I achieve? How do I achieve that? How do you achieve that? One, I want you to, I don't want you to miss what you just heard because it's really important. Because everything Aaron has processed you through about courage is about the internal struggle. It's all about the battle inside of you. Like you, you may face great challenges in your life. You may end up in a huge crisis in your life. You may... Um, you may have to address some great darknesses out there. But the fear doesn't actually come from out there. The fear comes from in here. And, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you a quick story. And it's, um, 
about six weeks ago, we were playing basketball, and I was, I've been trying to learn how to do layups at, you know, my age. And so I've been trying to drive harder, so. And I was driving really hard, as fast as I could go, and one of the guys playing with us was covering me really well, and our feet tripped up. And I went flying downward, and I hit my shoulder. And I, I felt something tear, but um, I just, you know, got back up. And then the very first second, in fact, I remember Joe Smith, don't let him have the ball. He's, and then he said he knew that the moment I touched the ball, I would drain a three. And, and so I drained a three. And then, we've, then for the last six weeks, we've been playing ball, and I haven't let it bother me. But last Friday, uh, Kim tricked me and set me up with a doctor's appointment. And, and one of the doctors in our church said she's coming in on her day off, so I can't cancel. So I went over there, and two doctors looked at me and said, well, you have a torn rotator cuff. And there might be more torn, but we know minimally that's what's torn. And, uh, and then I went from there. They gave me a hybrid. So I said, can you do something? They put a hypodermic in to reduce the swelling. And then we went and played basketball. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, but let me tell you what happened. Um, I played really terribly because I was so afraid. I mean, I went, for a, I went for the same layup for six weeks with the thing torn. I saw Aaron coming at me, and I just dropped. I mean, almost in a fetal position in the air. Well, I was only probably this high off the ground. And, uh, inches, but it felt like feet, you know? You know, if I elevate it all, that's sky, you know? And, and I dropped the ball, and he rejected it and destroyed me. And, and the oh, whole... you're blaming this on an injury now? No. That was clean. No, that's the whole, that's okay. the whole point. No, Let that's... me get to the end of oh, it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. See, the injury didn't stop me for six weeks. It was the fear that stopped me. And I realized I could do everything I wanted to do with the pain and with the tear, but I was paralyzed from doing what I could have done because of the fear. Most of us blame our pain on what is actually the result of our fear. Most of us blame our wounds, but it's actually our fear. Most of us blame the injury, but it's actually our fear. And I thought, Man, I wish I didn't know. Except now I need to, you know, get it fixed. But, um, you know, ignorance is not the solution to fear. And, but what you need to realize is that you may be actually living a life of paralysis, limiting your capacity, not because of the wounds you experienced when you were young, not because of the pain you've gone through, not because of the brokenness inside of you, but because of the fear that has rooted in because of all those things. And a lot of us look for the healing before we can actually find the courage. And it's the other way around. You have to find the courage to get to the healing. So I really love the fact, Aaron, that you actually brought it first to self-awareness, your sense of um, insecurity or lack of esteem, self-worth, and then your need for acceptance of others. This, this is exactly the domino. And, uh, and then... Finding your, um, your affirmation in the wrong things. And then dealing with the fact that you have to let people into your life. That, by the way, is the most courageous decision you will make in your life. When you decide to become vulnerable and transparent, allow other people into your life, and stop hiding who you are and guarding your soul, that will be your most courageous moment. And once you make that choice, all the other choices get easier. Because that's the most terrifying uh, decision of life. The most terrifying decision you'll ever make is to allow yourself to be known. And that's where courage um, has to be rooted, I think, most profoundly. 
And, and, but I want to go back the other way, too, because I, I was just in Florida. I was a lot of places this last week, but I got to go see my mom. And, um, and it was a really great time because she's, almost, she's 80 years old, and she started telling me all these stories about her childhood that I didn't know. And, um, and she was so nervous. She goes, please don't share with people these stories, so I'm not going to. But I told her, I said, I want you to know something. All the stories that you're um, ashamed of and are worried that I would share, um, they're everyone else's story, too. It's just that you think we're the only dysfunctional family in the world. And uh, we may be the most dysfunctional family in the world, but we're not alone. Everyone has these struggles. Everyone struggles with these pains. Every, everyone has these uh, demons and shadows that they hide from everyone else. And, and one of the most courageous things we can do is just be honest and open. But she, uh, she was talking, and, and I don't know how it got to, because you asked me about how do, I find, how do I find this peace or this zen. And... And I said, you know, I've been married 34 years, and I don't think Kim has ever seen me uh, angry, really, like express anger openly or, and, uh, or uh, at an extreme level. And my mom looked at me and goes, what? She goes, you were the most violent child I've ever known. And uh, you had an explosive, violent temper. There's no way you're not, like, um, dangerous, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, no, Mom. I said, you, like, you can go talk to my team, my family, my kids. Like, I, I said, I am the consummate picture of Zen. And uh, I once went to a Buddhist retreat center, and they told, it came and asked me, how did I achieve this level of Zen? They did. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it's a really fascinating thing for me. And I told her, I said, uh, my temper, that internal rage and violence inside of me, once had mastery over me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the kid, I just would explode and I'd punch a hole in the wall. Or uh, I remember once my brother just, he just, I was just done with him because he was like older than me and always picking on me and I strategically planned it and I led him to a knife I was hiding and I pulled it out and I said, come on. And my brother looked at me and goes, put that down or I'll tell mom. And I said, by the time mom gets home, you won't be telling anyone anything. Let's give that some context. <laughs> You grew up in the 70s, in the 60s, 70s, Miami was a different place. I grew up in Miami, and uh, yeah, and I, but I, I want you to know this, this is, this is like where I came from, and this is what my soul had to work through. There was rage inside of me, and, um, and, and, and I love the fact that people who've known me for the last 20 years can't imagine me like that. And that's why I have so much hope for all of you. Because one of the things I know is that um, your peers, they, they tend to only see where you mess up. And they see what's wrong with you. And they see where you fall short. But I, I want you to know, as long as I'm here, I'm going to see the possibility of you. I'm going to see who you're going to be when you finally make that turn. Some of you are just like struggling with anxiety and you just feel like you're never going to get past that. But one day you're going to have peace. Some of you just like are so angry. I'm telling you, one day you're going to have peace. And I love being able to say to my mom, no, there was a day decades ago where I took mastery over my soul. And because you give your life to Jesus, but you have to take mastery over yourself. And, and a huge part of that is having the courage to see yourself. You began with self-awareness. 
It's terrifying to see yourself for where you really are and who you really are. But you can't change if you don't know what needs to change. Right? So don't avoid people who tell you the hard things. Don't avoid the people who love you but are just trying to speak truth into your life. Don't run only to people who brown nose you and um, butter you up and treat you um, and only uh, just become yes men to you. We've actually been talking about that, and that was an unexpected place to go. But we've been about who who the, we were talking about, like even like the what was the idea poisoning the well of how sometimes like the things that we talk about with other people they either are like an intention to make, help someone become better or they're actually poisoning the well about other people. And whether it's culture, whether it's society, I think social media and Twitter is like if you go on Twitter, does anyone do Twitter anymore? If you work in Twitter, I'm not I'm not bashing Twitter. Like I love Twitter. My best friend, I, I listen to the news on Twitter, or I read the news on Twitter. Um, and uh, No, but like you go on Twitter, and it's like all about, I mean, for what, two, two years, it's all about Trump, right? Or all about scandal, or all about X, Y, Z. And it's just always about something that is trying to throw something else into the bus. And, and you know, great, like expose things and, and, and you know, bring truth out. And I love freedom of speech. But what do we do with that freedom? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I think this is important. Uh, I think so often we poison the well with each other, like uh, venting to each other about things that are hard in our lives or things that we're going through, and it's actually not self-awareness. It's actually not uh, leaning into people and letting people speak into your lives. Does that make sense? Like, like when you, you don't just like put your, your dirty laundry in a washing machine and, and leave it there, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you throw in soap, you hit a button, and it washes it, and then it gives it back out to you, right? My washing machine's from the future. Yeah, it literally hands it back out to me. No, but th- like, that's the idea of relationships and friendships, right? Like, if you take poison and you just sit with it, it will rot your soul. But if you're going, hey, you're, this is all the tr- trash and the garbage and the hard stuff that you're going through, and I'm going to break it down with you. I'm going to go, hey, this is maybe something I see. Maybe this is something that's in the scriptures. Maybe this is something that I'm going to pray for and pray about, right? Because I think a lot of that, that's, that's this why there's clean air filters. It's why we, why, why we filter things in our lives. It's why we break down stuff and give it to God, right? And that, that helps us become not just more self-aware, but also healthier. And our insides don't just start riding away. And I think that's, that's something we've been chatting about a lot because I hold stuff in all the time. You know? I actually think the greatest courage in the world is all internal. Yeah. I think, the, I think the, um, the decision to forgive is one of the most courageous decisions you make in life. It's I, hard. And it's a hard decision. And, uh, but um, it's funny because Kim and I, we've been married 34 years, and, and I, this has happened so many times where someone has gone to Kim years later and started telling her something horrible they had done years before that they assumed I had told Kim because they knew I knew. And Kim would be looking at them and go, I didn't know this. And then they were like, oh man, I wish I hadn't said anything. And, and one of the things I've learned in my life is to be confidential. I, I find that, um, and I'm just going to say this like in the Christian space. Maybe I think it's true in, in the non-Christian space too, but Christians have a unique way of praying for other people by gossiping about them. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and that really and, resonated with someone right in this area. This side of the room over here. I'm not this looking room's at you know, 
And one of the things that I've made a decision in my life is I spread like a virus everything good about you. And I eat the virus when it's bad about you. Because I want to be the end of the road for anything negative about you. And I, I, and I want to be the beginning of a movement of everything good about you. And, I, and imagine what would happen here um, if we just took on that kind of posture for each other. And, and I know it's, it seems like we've gone a little off, but it's actually not because, see, this passage is about David's closest allies. And there are some places here where David just loses heart. And, and, and actually he gives up and he stops caring about his guys and he gets all depressed about Saul and he has to have his, like, his guys come in and say, hey, you got to remember, you're not just here for yourself. You're here for them. Like, when you see the people surrounding David, you have to know that David was incredibly imperfect. He made a lot of mistakes, but these, this team of people had his back and they helped him through. And, they, and I love the fact that they're the reason David from their story, became king. Like, they helped establish David's kingdom. And I thought, who does that? This guy, Shema, he could have had his own team. He could have had his own kingdom. He probably could have broken away with enough people to start his own small nation. I mean, if you can fight with your left and your right hand, you're kind of, you're, you know, you're kind of scary. If you can survive fighting a lion in a pit on a snowy day, because it's not hard enough on a sunny day. But on a snowy day, you've got to really fight against that lion. And these men, each one of them, could have gone and become a king of their own nation. But they decided it was more important to help to do something together than to do it alone. And so I feel like this story is so layered. But the last passage is so powerful because they go off and get water for David on a whim. Like you're saying, David just saying, oh, I wish I had water from this place. And they go risk their lives and they bring it back. And it shows you how loyal they are to David. But then when they bring the water back and David doesn't drink it, it shows you how loyal David is to them. And then when he offers it to God, it sounds like when I first read that, honestly, I thought, he just threw the water out. I, yeah. mean, I, would, I would not handle that well. You're you doing what? To the water I got for you? you know? But you know what he was actually, he was actually elevating the worth of the water. Because if the king drinks it, it has value. But he's saying, this water has so much value that not even I can drink it. It could only be given to God. And I think it's interesting that you were drawn into that. And that because I think in your internal universe, you, you long for a world where people fight for each other. And they move for each other without even being asked. They just care about each other and they see each other's hearts and they do life together. And every leader has a dream of a world that does not exist. And you don't use this language, but um, I actually think this is the dream inside of you. To create a community where everyone believes in each other, is for each other, they fight for each other, and they do life together. Yeah, I I know I do though. I I like I think I read this story. I think this is the greatest like children's like bedtime like the, the thing that every young person should hear to go. I can have three friends that care about me, and then I can be that that one of those three friends for somebody else who, on a whim, will do anything for each other. Do you know what I mean? And then on that. 
level of sacrifice and commitment, you give it back to God. Because I think that's the coolest thing is that, like, the whole idea of courage and relationships, I think, is that what does it look like to, to I think it's really easy for us to, to receive sacrifice. You know what I mean? Like, young people love when people do things for them. As I like it. <laughs> do you? Do you? <laughs> and... <laughs> No, it's real though, right? And I think, it's like generationally, I think, but maybe this is just a human thing. It's, it's easy to accept that Jesus died on the cross for us. Like this idea, if you can believe that. Um, but it's hard to, 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 to realize that actually like this is where we take on the sacrifice for other people. Does that make sense? Like it's easy to think, okay, Jesus died on the cross, you know, 2,000 years ago. But I, would I do the same thing for someone else, Right? And I think a lot of times it stops right there, right? Like the idea of going to get someone water, that would be like asking me to get Krispy Kreme in Burbank, like right now. You know what I mean? Like I'd be like, oh, I'll go to the one on Santa Monica up at 14th Street. Um, no, but the, I think the level of commitment to each other, I think not just lives in a dream, but lives in the scriptures and I think actually lives in us when we bring that in. And that is the level of which I would like our church to operate as, Yeah as the band just disappears. You know, you, so had a, you had a quote about fear that you wanted to highlight. Yeah, it did, actually. I have so many quotes. Gosh. I think it was actually an uprising. No, no, I know. But looking down, I have so many. Okay. You know, something you've told me growing up is courage is not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. You want me to say it again? It should be on everyone's notes. Do you take notes? You should. We check at the door. You're going to say it again? Yeah, I'm just like building it up, you know? <laughs> courage, is, is, uh, courage is not the absence of fear, but the absence of self. Yeah, and the reason that's so important is that if you wait for the absence of fear, you're always going to live in fear. So, Because we, we want courage to be the emotion that takes over the emotion of fear. I don't think courage is the emotion that takes over the emotion of fear. I think courage is the action that steps into the middle of fear. And so if there's no fear, there is no courage. If you don't have anything that you're overcoming, then it didn't require courage. But it does take an immense amount of sacrifice and... um, and selflessness. So when you begin to think about what's the highest expression of courage, the highest expression of courage is to live your life for others and not for yourself. And that, that's why it's really the absence of self, not making a decision for you, but making a decision for others. And, and by the way, that's why Jesus is um, the penultimate kind of expression and manifestation of courage. Because he lived his life not for us, but for, I mean, not for himself, but for us. He died on the cross not for himself, but for us. He suffered not for himself, but for us. Everything he did was for us. And when you look at the cross, you realize, oh, this is what courage looks like. Because it's the complete absence of self. He gave himself up. In fact, what... Paul says in Philippians is that he made himself as nothing and emptied himself. And if you're here and 
this is kind of a new conversation for you and you're not really sure about where you stand with God and maybe you've never crossed that line of faith and trusted Jesus with your life. This is why, to me, Jesus is so compelling because he gave all of himself for you without ever waiting for you to do anything for him. That his was the ultimate act of courage because it was the ultimate act of selflessness to become the sacrifice so that through his death, you and me, through all of us, could have life. Through his resurrection, we could have the power to live. And, and that's the reason we do all this. And, I, and I, I, I'm so grateful that, that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, that he gives us the courage to live the life he created us to live. That word courage literally means to become strong of heart. And so some of you have been living with a weak heart. You've been afraid. You're struggling with anxiety. You are always overwhelmed by stress. Uh, Some of you, you are marked by OCD or um, some other um, psychological prison that you feel trapped inside of. And and I want you to know, um, one of my uh, friends last night, we were together, he goes, do you struggle with OCD? which is an odd question to ask me when we're playing ping pong. And, uh, and uh, you know, and uh, I, I, I hedged a little bit and I said, well, no, I used to struggle with it severely. It was like a severe problem in my life. And, and, uh, and I think it's either genetic or environmental, but it's like a, it's a family gift we have. And, um, but it doesn't stop us. We move forward. You, you, you can break the strongholds of those things in your life. And I think that's one of the reasons I love our, our image as a church for Mosaic. It's broken and fragmented pieces. Brought together, create something beautiful, especially when light strikes through it. Mosaic is for broken, imperfect, damaged people who refuse to stay like that. Who will not be defined by their brokenness, but will be defined by the light that shines through them. 